Hey everyone, I'm your host, John Sherrod, and this is Quick Take. This is episode nine of Quick Take, your weekly half-hour podcast dedicated to all things Apple. And it's always fun to talk about the latest from Apple, but especially on a week like this week when Apple is hosting its Worldwide Developers Conference, or WWDC, as we usually refer to it. Yesterday, Apple CEO Tim Cook and a host of other Apple executives and other employees took the stage to give us a first look at this year's updates to tvOS, watchOS, macOS, and iOS. And they also debuted some intriguing new hardware products also. Honestly, I thought it was one of the best WWDC keynotes we've seen in years. And I'll break down why I feel that way as we go along. Um, But it was evident that, uh, you know, this year Apple gave us some long-awaited product intros, which we'll talk about more, and some big software improvements, which we'll talk about. Plus, a tantalizing new, if not entirely unfamiliar product in the new HomePod device. There is way, way too much to go over in the half an hour or so that I shoot for with each episode of Quick Take, so I'm not going to be able to cover everything tonight, but don't worry, there will be plenty of time to discuss everything in the weeks to come. At nearly two and a half hours long, uh, this was a long event, and it was evident that Apple had a lot to say based on how quickly they moved through all the things they talked about. Apple spent the morning focusing on six major topics, but uh, this week I'm going to focus on the four that interested me the most, and I'm going to save HomePod for last, so you'll have to listen to the end to get my take on that, including how the tech press mostly had this device wrong in their predictions leading up to this event, so stay tuned for that. Okay, let's dive right in. So the first thing on my list that I want to talk about is the same thing that Apple started its presentation with, and that is Apple TV. Apple TV has been one of my favorite Apple devices since it debuted in 2006. It's hard to believe that it's been around that long. Um, And it's been uh, just a series of kind of slow iteration, a very slow glacial pace of changes to it over the years. And then in 2015, big update, we got the fourth generation Apple TV uh, with tvOS. Before there was no real name to the Apple TV operating system. We got an app store. We got expanded search. We got the Siri remote. Uh, it was a big update. Uh, a lot of things that a lot of us who were passionate about the Apple TV had been waiting for for a long time. And they've been you know, iterating that a little bit since uh, fall of 2015 when it debuted. But one of the big things that a lot of consumers or potential consumers had been waiting for with Apple TV was Amazon Prime. If you're unfamiliar with Amazon Prime, that's, uh, you know, Amazon Prime, you know, when it first started out and still one of the main things that it is, is Amazon's um, two-day shipping. So you can basically uh, pay for a year membership in Amazon Prime. And if you're a member in that service, you you automatically get two-day shipping on, uh, if not, probably fair to say most or at least a great many products in Amazon's store. But it does a bunch of other little things in addition to that, one of which is this ability to stream a selection of uh, movies and TV for free. And when I say for free, of course, you're paying for the membership, but you're not renting these on a per, per movie or TV show basis. So it's a lot like Netflix. Um, 
honestly, Amazon Prime is or Amazon's you know video library is kind of a merger of iTunes, which is purchase and rental only, and Netflix, which is you know streaming a changing catalog of things. Um, that's Amazon Prime, and it has never been available for Apple TV, and it's, it, it has to have been the single most uh, demanded uh, service and app from consumers. And Tim Cook yesterday announced that Amazon Prime is indeed coming to the Apple TV later this year. So that in itself is going to sell a whole bunch more of these units, I think. But also, uh, and Apple didn't say this, but what, what should happen when Apple you know, brings Amazon Prime onto the tvOS platform, it should mean that Amazon will start selling Apple TV on the Amazon online store. They used to do that, but around the same time, coincidentally, as Apple released the fourth-generation Apple TV in late 2015, Amazon uh, kind of instituted this policy that said, if your streaming device doesn't support Amazon Prime, we're not going to sell it on the Amazon store. And that's a big problem for Apple because, while well, of course, Apple has its own online store and its own network of brick-and-mortar retail stores. You know, Amazon.com does a whole bunch of retail traffic certainly in the United States, but in lots of places in the world. And so to not have your product available for sale on Amazon is a big deal. So again, Apple didn't say that this would be a result of this announcement, but my guess is that once Amazon Prime is available on Apple TV, Amazon will start selling Apple TVs on its store again, and and that's huge. So it, it seems likely to me that Apple will have further announcements for Apple TV later this year. I would guess that's going to be part of Apple's fall announcements. Um, don't know what they're going to do, but some of the things that a lot of us would still like to see are things like 4K video playback. Uh, the current Apple TV only supports 1080p at, at the highest resolution. And 4K iTunes store content. You cannot right now purchase a 4K version of your favorite movie or TV show episodes. And so hopefully those will be some things that we'll see. But we'll just have to wait and see, uh, hopefully later this year, for some further updates. But for now... Having Amazon come to Apple TV is a big deal. And I think I just spent more time talking about Apple TV than Tim Cook did yesterday. So let's move on and talk about the Mac. So it wasn't that long ago that Apple was on a roughly biannual release schedule for major new versions of Mac OS. And of course, it was called Mac OS X for a long time, and then OS X, and now they've gone back to Mac OS, uh, which I like better than OS X. Um, but, uh, you know, in the, in the last few years, they've moved to an annual release schedule. And that's, you know, arguably good and bad. There's, there's both sides to that. So it was no surprise that uh, at this week's WWDC keynote, Apple announced the new version of macOS. That's version 10.13. And they announced the name. And again, uh, Apple's been, you know, for back in the OS 10 days, they used big cats like Lion and Tiger and Panther to be kind of the marketing name for the new, the major new version of OS X. And in the last few years, they've been using California place names. And so we had Mavericks and Yosemite and El Capitan, and last year it was Sierra. And this year, the name they're going with is High Sierra. And that sounds a little goofy. It's going to be kind of weird to say that, especially if you're not kind of dialed in and kind of following Apple closely. But uh, what they're meaning by that, the reason they're keeping Sierra in the name is that um, this version of macOS, uh, High Sierra, is intended to be kind of just a refinement. This year they're saying we're not focusing on a whole lot of flashy features that we're adding to macOS. We're just going to kind of take a step back and just try to 
um, you know, tune the performance of Mac OS and make it work as, as good as possible. And this is not unprecedented. Um, the first time we really saw them do this as kind of a stated goal was back in 2009. Um, before that, the, the release of OS X right before that was Leopard. And in 2009, Apple came out with Snow Leopard and kind of the same thing, keeping the previous version name in there to kind of tell you that this is this is just a refinement of what we had before. We're going to kind of stop and just focus on tuning it. And in fact, uh, they kind of very famously got up on stage at that year's WWDC keynote and said, no new features. Again, just highlighting that, hey, we're focusing on under the hood improvements and adding new frameworks and new APIs and different things like that. Uh, they did that again in 2012 with Mountain Lion. The one before that had been Lion and Mountain Lion again, just to signify that, hey, we're just tuning this and refreshing it and making it better and better. So that's what they're doing with High Sierra. And again, mostly for time constraints, we're not going to get into a lot of what they announced about that. We'll have time to do that in you know future versions, future episodes of Quick Take down the road. But just a couple things. Um, one is this brings to the Mac Apple's new file system, APFS. And, you know, the file system is a very under-the-hood kind of thing. It's, it's kind of the way um, the operating system organizes files and includes, you know, things like, you know, how many characters can be in the name, what characters are acceptable, you know, how applications talk to files, how it represents files to the user, different things like that. So we're not talking really about a visual change. We're talking about something under the hood. And... The file system that it's replacing, HFS Plus, has its roots uh, going back decades. Um, I think they said HFS originally debuted, you know, something like 30 years ago. So it's a big deal, and um, this is not going to be the first time you have had APFS on an Apple device. If you have an iOS device and you updated to the 10.3 uh, version of iOS, um, that is when you got your first taste of APFS, and it under the hood, in the background, as it was installing that update to iOS, updated your file system, and got you up to the latest version, got you up to APFS. And that hasn't happened on the Mac yet. It's going to be part of High Sierra. So when you install High Sierra for the first time, it's going to give you the option to um, upgrade your OS, upgrade your file system to APFS. And, um, you know, that's, that's maybe a little scary. Um, in the past, in iOS, you haven't had as much of a focus on visualizing your files. You know, we'll talk about how that's changing when we get to the iOS section in a bit here. But in the past, you haven't had anything analogous to the Finder where you can go and really view and, and, and see your files on, on, in iOS. Um, but on the Mac, of course, you're very aware of your files. You go into the Finder, your Documents folder, your Downloads folder, your Desktop, your Music folder, wherever it is, you've got lots of files, and you may have gone in and carefully organized them. So, um, you know, I'm just going to say, I'm sure Apple has tested this and, you know, feels confident that there aren't going to be any problems, but at the same time, you should definitely have a very recent and a very secure backup in place of your Mac before you install High Sierra. But that said, I do think you should go ahead and update to APFS uh, because, uh, you know, Apple gave a little demo showing performance improvements. They had a, an example showing, you know, they had Sierra and High Sierra back-to-back showing a duplication of a large collection of large files in the Finder and just how much faster that is uh, in APFS. Also, a couple of interesting features in Safari, uh, Apple's web browser. They've got a new feature um, for intelligent, what they call intelligent intelligent tracking prevention. 
And they used an example that I think we're probably all familiar with where, you know, you go uh, and do some research online about a product you're interested in. I think the example they might have used was a bicycle. And then you start going to other websites and you start seeing advertisements for that very bicycle that you were looking at over in this other place. And um, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I think this kind of thing, there's a fine line between it being helpful because it surfaces ads that are relevant to you. Um, but there's also, a, uh, it can also be a little creepy. And uh, so this is going to be something that you can turn on if you want to turn it on. But uh, intelligent tracking prevention, uh, Apple says anyway, will kind of help look out for those kind of things and block those kind of ways that websites track you. Another thing was uh, that I thought was pretty interesting was an always-on version of Reader. And uh, this is a feature in Safari that uh, I use all the time. Uh, Reader is, let's say you go to a news article or a blog post, and a lot of times the font may be small, and there's you know ads all over the page and things like that. So you go up to the title bar, and you click on the Reader button, and you just get this clean white page, and it'll, it'll include you know images that are part of the article, but it presents it in a nice, clean, consistent font and removes the ads and that sort of thing. So it just makes it very easy to read. And in High Sierra, uh, you'll be able to enable an always-on version of Reader so that when you visit a news article or a blog post, it'll automatically detect it and bring you into Reader mode automatically. And we'll kind of have to see, you know, that sounds really good on paper, and I use Reader so much that I might turn that on, but um, I guess I could also see scenarios where it might be too much and inserting itself in places where you wouldn't normally want to enable that. So we'll kind of see how that goes, but an interesting feature for sure. Okay, so that is just a little bit about the new improvements and new features added to Mac OS 10.13 High Sierra. Let's shift focus and talk about new Mac hardware. So as you know, uh, we've talked about this a lot on the show, and it's been a big part of the narrative in the last uh, you know, couple years, but certainly in the last several months. But Apple is kind of just coming out of this period where there's been some big droughts in between Apple in between Mac hardware releases. You know, they continue to pump out new iPhones and iPads, uh, iPhones for sure every year, and iPads, there's usually something new in at least one of the iPad lines every year. Uh, so that's on a regular schedule. Uh, but, you know, some of the Mac lines started to kind of lag behind in terms of regular updates, you know, until the uh, Retina MacBook Pro with Touch Bar debuted last October. It had been a couple of years since the MacBook Pro had been updated, and that's one of Apple's biggest selling products. And it had been, you know, we'd gone through this period where it had been a couple of years since the iMac got refreshed. And then we went through this four-year period where Apple had no updates and said nothing about the Mac Pro Tower. And so it was starting to fuel all this speculation and fear and some kind of sky is falling um, views out there that maybe Apple was losing its interest in the Mac and really focusing all of its attention on iOS, or maybe it's just kind of putting the Mac in maintenance mode until, you know, the iPad can take over for the Mac or something like that. And uh, I, I, I think that narrative kind of took Apple by surprise. And um, a lot of it is, of course, their own doing because they did go so long without any updates to these core products. But one thing about Mac users, we're pretty passionate, and uh, we notice when those kind of things happen. So, of course, in October, they introduced the new MacBook Pros to uh, a lot of sales, but some kind of mixed reviews in the tech press in particular. I've been using one for several months, and I love it, particularly how thin and light it is, but also having Touch ID 
um, for unlocking your screen. That's an amazing feature. Um, but, uh, you know, that was just in October when they released those updates. Well, this week at WWDC, Apple released a whole bunch of new Mac, Mac hardware. Um, they introduced a spec bumped version of the MacBook, which is their smallest, lightest uh, MacBook. It's the one port MacBook, and it's for people that really want that super portable Mac. Um, it's, it's just the thinnest and lightest uh, one you can go with, and it's fanless, so it has some interesting things. But, of course, the trade-off is performance, so they uh, did some spec bumps on that. Um, but they also spec bumped the MacBook Pro, and that's interesting because, of course, it's just been a few months since October when Apple released the new MacBook Pro, and they already have spec bump updates for it. And, you know, there's definitely going to be that segment out there that says, hey, I just bought a new MacBook Pro and you've got updates already. What gives? But I think if you kind of step back and look at the health of the Mac platform, I think it's very healthy to have frequent updates to the hardware because it just reinforces the fact that Apple is focused on the Mac and cares about the Mac. And um, and it was great to see. Uh, so the well, kind of the big new thing with the, the new MacBook Pros or the just updated MacBook Pros is that they now support Intel's KB Lake processor. And to kind of put that in perspective, I'm going to read a quote from Renee Ritchie, who uh, writes over at iMore and is just one of the most insightful writers out there who's, who's following Apple. And he says this, he says, the new MacBook Pro originally came with Intel's previous generation Skylake architecture. That was thanks to Intel, who hadn't yet shipped quad-core versions of Kaby Lake or Iris Pro versions, which is what Apple uses in the MacBook Pro. Flash forward to today, though, and Kaby Lake is not only a reality for MacBook Pro, it's better than I expected. I say that because increasingly over the years, generational advances in chipsets have been less about power and more about power efficiency. With Kaby Lake, though, the MacBook Pro is getting a decent increase in both base and turbo frequencies. So that's the, the quote from Renee Ritchie. And so not only should the new MacBook Pros be more powerful, but also better battery life as well. And so it was encouraging to see that come up. They also, Apple also announced support for external GPU chassis over Thunderbolt 3. And Thunderbolt 3 is uh, the connector that is that's the same connector as the USB-C, uses the same shape port. So on the 15-inch MacBook Pro, you've got you know, those four USB-C slash Thunderbolt 3 ports. And, um, you know, that enables really fast movement of data across that cable from the MacBook Pro to whatever device is plugged in. Um, so an external hard drive, for example. But in this case, we're talking about external GPU chassis. So what that is, is, you know, it's a box that connects to your Mac over USB-C slash Thunderbolt 3. It's got to be Thunderbolt 3. And inside that box, you can plug in a super, you know, high-performance uh, graphics card that was meant to go in a desktop, you know, PC tower. And so that means that if you're, you know, doing uh, work that uh, is very GPU intensive, you can use that external GPU while still using your portable MacBook Pro. Um, and uh, that's very cool to see Apple uh, announce support for that. And there's definitely going to be some pro consumers who are going to want that. So that's the new MacBook Pro. Additionally, this week, Apple announced new iMacs also supporting the KB Lake processors, uh, also updated AMD GPUs, and uh, now DD4 memory, uh, excuse me, DDR4 memory. And uh, you can get that uh, in up to 32 gigabytes of DDR4 RAM in the 21.5-inch iMac and up to 64 gigabytes in the 27-inch. 
So, uh, so that was pretty cool. Uh, we got some big updates to the iMac, and they also now uh, include two of the Thunderbolt three slash USB C ports, and uh, you know, and and in addition. And that's in addition to the ports that Mac already had. So, you know, unlike the MacBook Pro, which moved totally to this USB-C slash Thunderbolt 3 port model, the iMac still has the traditional USB-A ports that you're used to using for the last, you know, 15 years, 20 years. Um, and also uh, a card reader, uh, Ethernet, etc. So they just added the... Uh, the Thunderbolt 3 ports in addition to those things. And they have a little bit more room, obviously, to do that, but it was kind of interesting to see that move for sure. Uh, you know, and the iMac is an interesting computer because I still remember 1998 when the original iMac, that original Bondi Blue iMac debuted, seen it on magazine covers, and it being um, a computer that was squarely advertised for and marketed to consumers. Um, and, you know, back in those days, you know, Apple kind of had the four computer grid that showed pro desktop, consumer desktop, being the iMac, the consumer desktop, you know, pro laptop, consumer laptop. And in the years since then, and especially in the last several years, and particularly with the arrival of the 27-inch 5K iMac, um, you've seen the iMac kind of expand away. So it's still, they still have models that are fantastic for consumers, but it's also stretched what the iMac is into um, a range where a lot of pro users uh, find it super useful for what they're doing as well and find it sufficient for their needs and even desirable given that you've got an all-in-one desktop with that gorgeous 5K display built in. So uh, a lot of pros can use just the two iMacs I talked about um, and be perfectly content to use that in their work. But uh, Apple also announced a brand new iMac product called iMac Pro. Now, this is different from Mac Pro, and I'll kind of come back to that in a second. But iMac Pro, which, uh, you know, the, is the fastest Mac ever, and, you know, partially that's because the Mac Pro hasn't been updated in four years. But uh, iMac Pro is coming out in December, and it includes, what's special about it is it includes some components in the iMac that previously had been limited to the Mac Pro and you know other computers like it, including Intel Xeon processors with 8, 10, or even 18 cores, and AMD's Radeon Vega GPUs, ECC RAM, and you can get that in up to 128 gigabytes of RAM, and it includes four of the USB-C slash Thunderbolt 3 ports. Uh, so this was pretty incredible. Apple had hinted earlier in the year that they were going to have new iMacs with pro configurations uh, and we didn't know exactly what that was going to be and now we do and uh, it looks pretty awesome uh, for a whole lot of professional users and even the users that really need a lot of horsepower in their computer uh, this is going to be really attractive again super attractive having an all-in-one desktop with that 5k display with some of these features and components that were previously only available in super high-end computers like the Mac Pro um, and, uh, you know, it's, it comes in space gray, which is very cool to see in the iMac. And that's also going to come with a matching, uh, space gray keyboard and mouse. But this thing is not cheap. It starts at $5,000 and it goes up from there, depending on how you configure it. Um, so that is iMac pro. And I think it's worth pausing for just a moment and reminding all of us that Apple is still planning on releasing a new redesigned Mac pro as well. 
And I think there's the potential for confusion on that point since the iMac Pro, again, really pushes the iMac line much, much further towards satisfying that high-end professional. But also potentially confusing because iMac Pro and Mac Pro sound so much alike. Um, But this, I want to read you this. This is from Apple's iMac Pro press release. They said, In addition to the new iMac Pro, Apple is working on a completely redesigned next-generation Mac Pro architected for Pro customers who need the highest-end, highest-through-point system in a modular design, as well as a new high-end Pro display. So that's pretty exciting. Um, You know, earlier this spring when Apple had uh, kind of a small briefing for just a few members of the press, they uh, implied pretty heavily that we wouldn't see this anytime in 2017. So hopefully sometime early next year we'll hear more about that. But that's going to be coming in addition to the iMac Pro, which, as I mentioned, is coming in December. Uh, just a couple of the things on, on, on the Mac front. Uh, you know, this may be a minor point to some, but it was also really great to see Apple release a wireless keyboard with a numeric keypad. So you can go to the Apple's website and purchase that today. And that has to be one of the most demanded products from Apple over the last several years. Uh, I can't tell you how many times that I have personally expressed myself or heard others express a desire for that. And Apple also, in the Mac segment of their presentation on Monday, talked a lot about virtual reality or VR, including um, playing VR games. And they showed a demo of a Star Wars game that looked pretty cool uh, with the virtual reality headset. And also, they talked a lot about creating in VR. And that was something that, uh, you you know, because of the fact that we hadn't seen regular updates to the Mac Pro or the iMac in recent years, there just really wasn't a Mac hardware product that was capable of really being able to develop in VR or play back those high-end VR games. And so it's nice to see Apple acknowledging that that's something the industry is talking about a lot and showing how it can be done on the Mac. So... I think it's a phenomenal time to be a Mac user right now. Again, we're coming out of that long period of drought between Mac hardware updates. Um, but you know what we saw this week uh, should just smash the Apple doesn't care about Mac narrative that's been kind of floating around over the last several months. And that's, that's very encouraging. I can already tell that this week's episode is going to be running long, so bear with me. But there's just so much new stuff to talk about. And again, that's very exciting. As I said, I think this is one of uh, the most exciting WWDC keynotes we've seen in several years, uh, partially because there was just so much uh, new features and new hardware to talk about. So let's, let's kind of skate over and talk about iPad. Uh, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about iOS 11 generally, just because we don't have time. We'll talk about that more later. But, um, you know, I will say one thing. This is something that, that uh, I'm excited about. little tiny thing, but bear with me. Uh, in iOS 11, the cell strength indicator up in the upper left corner of the screen has gone away from dots back to bars. This is where, if I was more on the ball, I would insert some clap sounds because uh, I never liked the dots. I liked the bars better, and it's back, and I'm excited about that. Okay, so... Uh, lots of great features for iPhone, but very clear that this year Apple put a lot of thought and effort into improving the iOS experience for iPad specifically. And in fact, the tagline on their iOS 11 preview website says, a giant step for iPhone, a monumental leap for iPad. 
Uh, and this is something a lot of people have been wanting to see for a long time because Apple's been promising that the iPad is the computer of the future. But for it to really step into that and take on that mantle, there's a lot of improvements to iOS that needed to take place. And there still are, but we saw some really cool steps further in that direction this week. Uh, and also, yes, it's iOS 11, and they couldn't help but make the spinal tap. This one goes to 11 joke. And honestly, I can't blame them. It's cheesy, but I don't know. How can you, how can you avoid that? Uh, so the first feature I want to talk about um, was an expanded dock. So for a long time, uh, you've been limited to having just six apps in the iPad dock, and it started out as four, just like on the iPhone. Uh, but you know now in iOS 11, you can add several. And if you look at the screenshots, it looks a lot like the Mac OS dock. So you can put lots of favorite apps in there, the ones that you access the most frequently. They also announced a new app called Files. And I said I'd return to this when we were talking about how there wasn't really a Finder parallel on the iPad or in iOS. But now it is. Files is, you can kind of think of it as the iOS version of Finder. Uh, and it is on the iPhone 2, or it will be when iOS 11 ships this fall. But it's really special on the iPad because you get this big, you know, big screen view of your files. And it, it you know, it's just an app that called Files that you tap on, and it opens it up, and it uh, shows you local files on your iPad, but it also integrates, obviously, with iCloud Drive, uh, Apple's cloud sync service, but also with third-party services like Dropbox, Microsoft OneDrive, and Adobe Creative Cloud. Uh, so very, very cool to be able to see all those files in one single location. And we'll kind of have to see what the limitations are, but really big step forward. And this is something a lot of people have been asking for. And you can even do some finderish stuff like add tags, multicolored tags, different things like that to help organize your files in there. They also announced in iOS 11 for iPad enhanced multitasking. So for a little while, you've been able to do a split screen view between two apps on the iPad. So you can still do that. Now you can open up that second app right from the new dock. And in addition to that kind of split screen two app view, there's even uh, this kind of picture in picture like mode that essentially lets you have a third app open uh, as well. So that's pretty cool. Also, drag and drop. Now, this is something that's a mainstay of the Mac and desktop computing in general. We all take drag and drop for granted. Um, but this is something that really hasn't been available to iOS, and now it's coming in iOS 11. So you can drag and drop images, text, um, URLs from app to app. Awesome, awesome. And they announced um, you know, enhancements to the way Apple Pencil, which is Apple's uh, stylus for uh, the iPad works in conjunction with the iPad, uh, you know, for things like markup, which is really annotations, um, and even you can even start a handwritten note from the lock screen. So you know, more and more that you can do with the Apple Pencil, which is an optional accessory for the iPad. And you know, it was just kind of funny because personally, I've always hated the way my handwriting looks, and so, and I also have no artistic drawing skills whatsoever. So I was always kind of excited about moving to computers and using a keyboard because it meant I would never have to type or draw. Rather, again, I could always type. But um, you know, for there, of course, I am maybe an unusual person there because a lot of people still do like to draw or you know, you know, write out what they're thinking on a whiteboard. Obviously, there's a lot of artists out there who can draw. So for those people, um, having new features in iOS 11 for the iPad is, is going to be nice. Uh, another thing that's, that's more iOS 11 uh, wide is uh, a document scanner. So you can actually use the iPad or the iPhone's camera to take an image of a, of a piece of paper, a document that's lying on your desk. Even if you're 
even if the, the document on the desk is at an angle from the camera and it can just intelligently scan it and, and bring it up into an upright view and attach it to a note. And if you're using Apple Pencil, you can even then go and, uh, you know, sign it. So you could, you know, have a real document in front of you, scan it to a note and sign it and then send it on back to the person that needs to have a signed copy of whatever form we're talking about. Uh, so that's, again, we'll talk more about this down the road, but that's just a look at some of the iPad-specific enhancements to iOS 11. Now, in addition to that, of course, we saw with the Mac, new Mac OS software, new Mac hardware. Same thing with iPad, new iOS and new iPad hardware. So they announced updates to the iPad Pro models. And previously, um, they had the 12.9-inch iPad and they had the 9.7-inch iPad Pro. So these are both the iPad Pros, just in two different screen sizes. And they're, you know, nixing that 9.7-inch iPad Pro model. Instead, it's going to be a 10.5-inch iPad. And um, the nice thing about that, though, is that even though it's a 10.5-inch screen, the overall size dimensions of the iPad are about the same as they were on the 9.7-inch model. And that's because uh, they were able to really thin the bezels out so you've got more screen taking up the overall space on the face of the iPad. Uh, so it'll look almost identical in terms of overall size, and it's still just a pound, so it's still uh, a very light. And, and the 12.9-inch iPad is still just a pound and a half, so these are both very light devices. Um, also, those new displays, they put they put new displays in both sizes of the iPad Pro um, that include a 120 hertz refresh rate, whereas most LCD displays have 60 hertz. And, you know, that is great for, you know, watching videos, obviously, but it also means that there's even less latency when you're using the pencil. So if you've used a stylus on a screen that has high latency, you draw and there's a, a noticeable delay between when you physically move the stylus and when you see the line drawn on the screen. Um, so having that higher refresh rate screen helps make, helps reduce that, uh, latency. So, uh, I haven't obviously gotten to try this in person yet, but if you go to Apple's iPad website and they show some kind of autoplay, uh, videos there that, um, show, you know, a person drawing with the Apple pencil and in their videos, it looks like there's essentially no latency whatsoever. What you're seeing when you move the pencil is what happens on the virtual piece of paper, um, and uh, that's awesome. If it really does work that good in real life, uh, that's fantastic for digital artists in particular, but also anybody who's even just writing, sketching, annotating, whatever on the iPad screen. Uh, iPads also now, the iPad Pros also get a new A10X Fusion processor, which, you know, Apple boasts on their website is more powerful than most PC laptops. Uh, and kind of like with uh, the processor, the new processors in the MacBook Pro, it's also more power efficient. So that should help you with battery life as well. So that was just a very quick, breathless breeze through the new iPad features. And that's going to take us to our last thing I want to talk about tonight. And probably the most interesting thing from a business standpoint that Apple talked about, and that is HomePod. So you think back, Apple really kicked off the modern smart assistant game with Siri. And that's not to say there, there wasn't other things before that, but, you know, everything else that's come since then is kind of following the Siri model. Um, but, you know, lately the tech press has been obsessed, I think inordinately so, because if I just think there's been way more talk about this in the tech press than what you see real consumers interested in. Um, and that's with Amazon's Echo and Google Home products. And, and these are these little, um, uh, you know, little tubes that you put in your home where you can talk to uh, Amazon's 
uh, and Google's, you know, very, you know, digital assistants. And they can do a variety of things, just like Siri can. So it's kind of these other companies take on the same type of thing. And the tech press has been calling for Apple and speculating on what Apple might do to release a competitive product to these devices. You know, Apple up to now has not had uh, a standalone Siri device, if you will. Of course, you can talk to Siri on your iPhone, your Apple Watch, your Apple TV, but they haven't had a product where you can just, you know, speak to Siri, address Siri without, you know, kind of being near those devices and and, and be able to do things with it. Um, So those devices, uh, particularly from Amazon and Google, uh, they're heavily focused on artificial intelligence, but Apple's messaging around HomePod starts with the music experience, and they even frame their discussion about Siri on HomePod around music as well. So what is HomePod? It's uh, a speaker that looks roughly like a kind of squatter version of the Mac Pro tower, that round cylinder Mac Pro with a mesh speaker fabric wrapped around it. Um, and if you kind of, Apple's got a cool kind of cross section of it on their website, but if you kind of look at the inside, it's got an array of seven tweeters at the bottom, right above that, a six microphone array and a woofer on the top. Uh, so again, they really frame that discussion around it being a great speaker. Um, it also includes Apple's a eight processor that debuted, uh, three years ago as the brains of the iPhone six. And the A8 does a few things for HomePod, including you put it in your room and HomePod analyzes the room that it's in to kind of adjust the acoustics of the sound properly. Or uh, you can also, if you add a second HomePod to the same room, they automatically detect one another and you're playing the sound through both of them when you play sound through it and they balance the sound. Uh, I mean, it's pretty incredible stuff. I mean, applying computational power to, um, you know, a music experience like that. HomePod, you know, also does include Siri, so you can speak to Siri, and they even talk multiple times on the web page about how, you know, even if the music's loud, you can address Siri over the sound of the music, uh, and you can use it for a variety of commands, some of the same things that you've used Siri previously for. But Apple really wrapped the Siri experience on HomePod around music, even talking about how Siri's become a musicologist. And so, when you're thinking about this, I think the tech press and a lot of people that follow of the tech industry, they're not really properly contextualizing all of these various in-home smart assistant devices from the various companies. And, and before I go into that a little bit, I mean, there's no doubt that, of course, you know, Apple, Google, and Amazon um, are all passionate about the possibilities of artificial intelligence and the smart digital assistant. And they have lots of, you know, super smart scientists at each of these companies who are interested in this field. But each of these devices makes a lot of sense for each company if you think about what those companies primarily do. So Amazon is primarily an online retailer. So they want an Amazon Echo in as many homes as possible so they can break down the barriers to consumers making purchases on Amazon.com. I mean, if you think that it's a first world problem to have to get up and walk across the room to a computer or pick up your phone and type things in, to order a new box of cat litter. I mean, you know, talk about breaking down barriers. If you can just shout across the living room and ask Amazon to ship you a new copy of it. And if you think about Google and their home product, you know, Google makes a vast amount of its money from selling advertisements online. So they want to learn as much about consumer behavior as possible so they can more intelligently target ads. And I don't mean that in the way to say that they're, you know, using your data 
you know, in an inappropriate way, but they're learning about consumer behavior. And this is one more way to learn about what consumers are doing and what's going on in their lives so they can target those ads. And so what about Apple in that? Well, Apple's been trying very hard to focus on its services division. So that's things like iCloud and the App Store, but it also includes Apple Music. Uh, Apple also has, at least since Steve Jobs returned to Apple in the late 90s, been sort of institutionally passionate about music. And we've seen that with inviting celebrity musicians to appear and perform on stage at Apple events, to the iTunes Music Store, to the iPod, and now HomePod. And so when you combine those two things, Apple's kind of institutional passion for music, plus the business interest they have in growing their services division, including Apple Music, this device makes sense in that context. And so I think it's important to contextualize these devices and understand exactly where they fit and what they do for each of these companies to understand kind of why they exist and why they're different and where there's some strengths and weaknesses between them. Uh, you know, it's interesting too. It's also very reminiscent of a product that Apple sold about 10 years ago called the iPod Hi-Fi, which debuted in 2006. And, you know, even retailing at the same price, the iPod Hi-Fi retailed for $349 and the new HomePod retails for $349. And this, you know, that came out in 2006. And that was a time when iPod was one of the hugest products in the country. And there was a whole, uh, you know, big industry around that, including um, speaker docks. They were popular things like the Bose sound dock where you, you could buy and you plugged your iPod in and, and, and played your music through it. And Apple wanted a piece of that pie as well. But and home and the iPod Hi-Fi was an amazing uh, sounding speaker, but it ultimately wasn't successful, and they actually discontinued it after only about a year and a half on the market. So it's going to be interesting to see whether or not HomePod has a similar fate, or whether Apple, you know, has a hit on their hands, and we're just going to have to wait and see. Um, it'll be interesting to follow. My guess is that um, you know Apple probably expects to sell it in low numbers. And we'll just have to watch and see what it does and, you know, what updates Apple has for it from a software standpoint over time. But with that, wow, that was a lot of stuff to go over. And there was so much more that was announced that we didn't get time to talk about. And journalists are learning more after the fact as they talk to people at Apple and kind of dig into the betas and different things like that. So stay tuned to Quick Take next week as we continue discussing and breaking down all this information. And if you enjoyed what you heard on today's program, there's two really important things you can do to help me get the word out about the show. First, you can go to iTunes or the podcast app on your, on your iPhone and leave a five-star rating. Five-star ratings really help with getting podcasts more visibility within iTunes. Reviews on iTunes are important too. So it would also be really helpful if you could share this episode with your social media followers. Just share the podcast on Twitter or Facebook. And hey, if you listen to the end, just tweet me a thumbs up so I'll know you're out there. Uh, that's encouraging to me personally. You can reach me on Twitter at JWSherrod. That's J-W-S-H-E-R-R-O-D. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.